Praise the Lord. The audio, when yours truly remembers to put the mic on, and I remembered today, praise the Lord. There's a praise. Uh, well, you know, this young man, he put a sign on my pulpit, turn on the mic and computer. Because <laughs> sometimes I forget. I'm, I'm trying to move on. And Anyway, when I was about 13 years old, there was a musical group called the Five Man Electrical Band. And they produced a song called Signs. And uh, they sang as part of that song, Signs, Signs, Everywhere the Signs. And as I was preparing this message, that's what came to mind, that, that little string of lyrics. I said, well, that would be a great title for this message because Jesus gave a list of the signs. In fact, He gave multiple lists of signs that you would see preceding His return. That was a hippie song. It was uh, talking about all the, the signs that were popping up everywhere and uh, prohibiting everything imaginable. We're not talking about prohibiting anything today. So the, the song itself has nothing to do with the sermon. But the title I thought was interesting because of the, the fact that they sang signs, signs everywhere, the signs. I thought about even playing a line of that, and I said, well, okay. this just takes too much time. Uh, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't do it. But those were the lyrics that inspired the title for this message. Now, we're going to be reading from the 24th chapter of the gospel that Matthew written, Matthew's gospel record, chapter 24. And uh, you have to remember that Matthew was a Hebrew tax collector, and he spoke Aramaic. He wrote Aramaic. His gospel is one that we have some fragments of in uh, historical uh, documentation that shows that he wrote in Aramaic. And uh, that Aramaic was a modern form of Hebrew at that time. Much like the old King English, you know, the King's English is different from the English that we speak, so was Aramaic and Hebrew different. Similar but different. Anyway, the, the signs and the idea of signs being everywhere is relevant to this message today. The signs are everywhere. But the world has become oblivious to the signs, has become so callous in even recognizing what's going on. Because in some ways, one of the signs that our Lord gave is that there would be this uh, great deception. There would be this uh, ignorance, if you will. Our Lord, the one we call Jesus, told His disciples which signs to watch for. And as His followers, we need to know what those signs are. We're seeing them, but we not, may not recognize that these are signs that He said would precede His coming. We're all on a journey through this life, and we have to heed His advice to find His way onto His path. It's a narrow path. He warned His followers not to ignore the signs. And so, as we go into the message, I want us to keep that in mind. These are His words. And I'm going to bring in some other scriptures to support what He said, because it was well understood at, at the time of the early church. If you want to open there, you can find that on page 1531 in those Bibles there in your seats, page 1531. But I, I do want us to pray first. Dear God, I need You to Take me and use me today, Father. We are all lost without you. 
We need you in our lives. We need the sacrifice that you provided. We're forever lost. Your word instructs repentance. Christ came preaching repentance. And without repentance, the cross of Christ is meaningless. I ask that you would anoint our eyes, Lord. Use spiritual eye salve. Use your Holy Spirit to open our spiritual eyes for us to see. Please guide us to submit, Lord, ourselves completely to your word as our guide. Help us, Father. We, we are not worthy. We confess our unworthiness, but, Lord, we also confess our need for your word. Use it to cleanse us, Father. Use it to aid us in our surrender completely to you. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to speak concisely. That everyone who receives this message would get what you have for them, I pray in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, again, page 1531. And I know this young lady has it on the screen there. And I'm going to exposit the text just somewhat as I work through it. In fact, you know what? I've already got it in my notes. That's right. I don't need to open it. Matthew begins with, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all the... Excuse me. He said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that will not be thrown down. It was a beautiful temple. It was a beautiful campus, if you will, using a modern term. They were marveling at this beautiful campus. They're looking and saying, wow, do you see all this? Isn't this great? Look at how magnificent this place is. But instead of expressing awe at what they had expressed, at, at the greatness of what was before them, he foretold its destruction. He said, not one stone's going to be left upon another. And just 40 or so years later, it was all destroyed by the Romans. They burned the temple, and to extract the gold, they flipped every single stone. Not one stone was left unturned. Because as that gold melted, they wanted to make sure that they got every bit of it. Matthew 24, verse 3 is where we read, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. And we see three questions there. When will these things be? He just told them the temple's going to be destroyed, everything's going to be flipped over, and they're saying, when's this going to happen? And the second question is, what will be the sign of your coming? Because they knew he was leaving, and they wanted to know when he was coming back, how they could figure that out. <laughs> what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Okay, there's three questions in that that little dialogue there, and uh, we're about to read his answers, which is a very long discourse, okay? We may or may not get through it all. If we don't, 
you're all going to have to come back next week to hear the rest, okay? And bring a friend, all right? And maybe we'll get Tom here, too. <laughs> so, beginning at verse 4, our Lord answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. See, he was always warning against the potential for deception. We know God's going to send a great delusion. In fact, our Lord expresses that. He says, Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now, there's two ways to look at that. They'll come in his name saying, He's the Christ, and will deceive many. And then there's others that will come in his name saying, They're the Christ. Okay? And we don't know exactly because he doesn't clarify that, but he does state it. And as you look at the context, you see uh, it's possible it could be either because he says, be not deceived. Make sure nobody deceives you, okay? Now, we go on to verse 6. He says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Have any of you who are in this room lived in a time without war in the world somewhere? Of all the nations that are on the world, on this planet, there have been wars and rumors of wars throughout all of our lifetimes and beyond. You look back, okay? But, he says, all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Not yet. He said, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, but it's not the end yet. All these things must come to pass. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now, there are some who try to say that this discourse, which is also called the Olivet Discourse, they try to say that this was not intended for the last days, like now, for example. This was for then, or for what, the time of the destruction of the temple. And they try to blend it all into that time. He's answering three questions, and part of those three questions turns up in different places in his discourse, okay? The answers to those questions. Nation, let's look at that word, okay? It comes from the Greek word, ethnos. It probably comes from another Greek word, and it means a race, as of the same habit, a tribe, specifically a foreign, non-Jewish one, usually by implication pagan. It's Gentile, heathen, nation, people. Ethnos, it's the one that we get our word ethnic, or it's related to our word ethnic from. And you see within, even in this land now, all through time we've seen these ethnic differences, these national differences, nationality differences, if you will. You see that this is, all, this is happening and it's being ramped up right now in our day. We're seeing nation against nation, ethnic group against ethnic group. It's an unfortunate reality, but Christ himself foretold it was going to happen. And it's not going to get to be less. It's not going to reduce. It's going to increase according to the way that he states it. You're going to see this. And he says, all of these are the beginning of sorrow, the beginning of sorrows. Then, he says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Now, all through the time of the church, we've seen tribulation. If we just look at the history books, it tells us millions upon millions of Christians have been eradicated from the face of the planet because of their faith in that one we call Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, Yahashua, his Hebrew name. 
and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Uh, last week, I, I think it was last week, I told you folks that there's a church in Canada that has been fenced off, and the church, the building was fenced off. The church has been uh, evicted from the building. And they've gone underground, and they're going to continue to meet. In Canada, our next-door neighbor, it's likely just a matter of time and some circumstances that will say, okay, the buildings like this have to be closed. And they'll use something other than religion as the reason to do it. It's coming. Right, well, that was the first step. Is there going to be any pushback? So, as we go on, we have to remember that tribulation has struck the church from the very beginning. There's been tribulation. In fact, our Lord said, they're going to hate you for my name's sake. He didn't say they're going to love you. He said, love them, but they're going to hate you. He said, love your enemies, and the enemies are the enemies of the cross. And then as we go on into verses 10 and 11, he says, many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Hatred is on the rise. Hatred is on the rise. It is getting worse and worse. And you're going to start feeling some of that hatred, okay? It's on the rise, folks. And you're seeing this hatred starting to ramp up, even within families, because people aren't doing what somebody else believes they should do. Now, I love all my brothers and sisters. I mean, in Christ and in my family. And there are a lot of people that are very unhappy with the way the world is, and they're starting to take it out on other people. Hatred is increasing. As we go on, we remember that the recent presidential election brought forth a lot of false prophecies and opened up the door for false prophets to be revealed. The Lord said there will be many false prophets. And many will be offended. Many will betray one another. Many will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold, will grow cold. Lawlessness will abound. He doesn't say it might. He doesn't say it could. He said it will in other words, lawlessness is going to become major on the earth. It's going to be a major issue. And whoever endures to the end shall be saved. You know, I wanted to go in and break that all down, but if I broke everything down, folks, it would take us a couple of hours to get through this passage. And it may anyway, with what I have broken down. I don't mean today, don't don't get me wrong. We have lunch downstairs. My wife expects everybody to be down here around 12.30, so we'll be getting out of here. I just got to tell you, there's a lot in here. Being offended. There are lots of people that are being offended. Offen you say the wrong thing and people get offended. You talk about your faith and there's people that get offended. You share the, the fact that you believe in the one that we call Jesus and people get offended. This gospel, verse 14 tells us, 
This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then, and then the end will come. Now, I looked at the Greek word for gospel, and I pulled out the definitions from the Thayer's Greek lexicon and also the Strong's Dictionary, and I'm going to have those up on the screen for you. The uh, Thayer's definition says a reward for good tidings or, in fact, the good tidings themselves. And this is what a lot of people say. The gospel is good tidings. It's good news. And uh, as you go on, the glad tidings of the kingdom of God soon to be set up. And subsequently also of Jesus the Messiah, Yahashua the Messiah, the founder of this kingdom. And uh, when you go on, Looking at the definitions, you see, after the death of Christ, the term comprises also the preaching of or concerning Jesus Christ as having suffered death on the cross to procure eternal salvation for the men, for humans in the kingdom of God, but has restored to life and exalted to the right hand of God in heaven, thence to return in majesty to consummate the kingdom of God." That's the gospel. He came, he lived, he suffered, he died, he was buried, he arose, he ascended, and he's coming back. That's the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. Do you know that there is every electronic means of sharing the good news with other people now? There's a man that started this electronic Bible. It's called E-Sword, E-Sword. If any of you don't have it, I really highly recommend it because you can get lots of different versions of the Bible. You can get all kinds. You can have a library that all the books wouldn't fit in this room in your phone, okay, or your tablet or your computer. I highly recommend it. There's others that have come out since then, and they're all great softwares, I'm sure. The Word of God is going all around the world. And he said, after the good news is proclaimed around the whole world, then he's coming back. Okay? It's a sign. Sign. Everywhere. It's a sign. Now, as we keep going on, we see that the glad tidings of salvation through Christ, the proclamation of the grace of God manifest and pledged in Christ, these are all part of the definition of the gospel. The gospel, as the messianic rank of Jesus was proved by his words and his deeds and his death, the narrative of his sayings and deeds and the death of Jesus Christ came to be called the gospel or glad tidings. And we give that narrative. That's the gospel. He came. He lived. He suffered. He died. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he's coming back. The good news. But it's not just good news in and of itself. It's good news of the kingdom. Of the kingdom, okay? Royal power, kingship, dominion, rule, not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. See, it's his kingdom. And he has the right and the authority, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to him. He has all authority, and it's his authority that he will rule in. 
of the royal power of Jesus as the triumphant Messiah, of the royal power and dignity conferred on Christians in the Messiah's kingdom. And it could also be a kingdom, the territory subject to the rule of a king. So it's not just the authority and the power, but it's actually the kingdom itself. We are part of the kingdom. He owns us. He bought and paid for us with his blood that he shed on that cross. And before the cross, for that matter. It's used in the New Testament to refer to the reign of the Messiah. That's the definition. So he's saying, that's what's going to be proclaimed, and once it hits the whole world, then he's coming back. As we go on in Matthew's Gospel record, chapter 24, verses 15 and 16 is where we hear this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The abomination of desolation will be what? Standing in the holy place. Standing in the temple. We read in Daniel, he says, spoken by Daniel, and so we go to Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31, and we hear this, and forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and they shall take away the daily sacrifices, and place there the abomination of desolation. Happened in A.D. 70. Ended the sacrifices, destroyed the temple, sacrificed a pig in the temple. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 11. It is written, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination is, of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And I'm not going to get into that. So that event that happened then is not exactly the event that Daniel's talking about the second time. There's another abomination of desolation. Well, I, I want to read another passage of Scripture from... Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 12. <clears throat> and I want you to ponder, what is the temple today? Anybody who's been here for any length of time knows that the body of Christ on earth is the temple today. We are all a part of the temple. Paul taught that. It's not a building anymore. This is not a temple, although we could call it a temple unto the Lord. But it's not. We are the temple. This is a meeting house. Anyway, from 2 Thessalonians we read, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's he talking about? The coming of Christ, right? Okay. So he sets it up with, this is what I'm talking about, Christ's return. In our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. In other words, it hasn't come yet as of the writing of this letter to the church in Thessalonica. It had not come. And there were some people that were circulating this lie that, oh, no, he came already. Because when he came out of the grave, there were others who came out of the grave and they said, this is what he was talking about. And Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, says, no, that's not it. That's, that wasn't it. He didn't come back yet. All right? Now, Paul goes on to say, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Be falling away from what? Falling away from the gospel. Falling away from the good news. Falling away from the body 
of Christ, okay? Unless that falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. What's the temple today? Us. So there's somebody who's going to sit in the temple as God, in the place of God. I'm not going to elaborate on that. I'm just going to put it out there because this is what Paul says. Do you not remember, Paul goes on, that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Did you forget already? I, I told you this before. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It was already, the plan was already starting to come together back then. How much closer are we today? Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Some say that's the Holy Spirit. Others say other things. I'm not going to get into the details of it. It's just we know there's a restrainer right now, and this cannot fully be enveloped. It cannot fully happen until God says, okay, you're out of the way. Here we go. We're moving now. <clears throat> and it's going to go fast. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. He's returned to the coming now. So the Lord's going to come back, and He's going to destroy this one who has set Himself up as God in the temple. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, for this reason, who's going to send the strong delusion? God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now, our Lord says, be not deceived. Be aware of deception. Pay attention. Watch, because there is going to be deception. And he tells us, now Paul is saying, God, because they didn't love the truth, that they might be saved, God is going to send strong delusion that they will believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I have to ask, what is unrighteousness? Anybody? Sin. Sin is unrighteousness. Who defines sin? God. God alone. We don't get to define it. We don't get to redefine it. He says what it is. We agree because he said that's what it is. We don't get to change it. We don't get to say, well, you know, it's all right to this degree. He says none. We do none. Zero. That's what he says. If by some chance we step into a puddle of sin, we step back out and we say, God, forgive me. That's called repentance. We turn to him. We don't rely on our own work. We don't say, hey, I jumped out of that puddle. I saved myself. No. God saved you through the Christ for the, the cross of Christ. <clears throat> They will be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now let's go back to Matthew. And we're going to go to chapter 24, verses 17 and 18. Let him who's on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. Don't look back. Do not look back. And then in Luke chapter 17 and verse 32... 
we get a reminder from our Lord. He says, remember Lot's wife? They all heard about Lot's wife. They knew what happened to her. We're going to read about it. The Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew, overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife, Lot's wife, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. She was destroyed because her heart was still in the town that God said, get out of. Now, the Lord says, don't look back. When it comes to be that time, don't let your heart be stuck <clears throat> in anything. Don't let your heart be there. Luke chapter 17, verse 33, as we read on, after he said, remember Lot's wife, the Lord said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. There'll come a time when we might have to make that choice between life and death. It, it, there's many who have throughout history. From the very beginning, there were those, in fact, think of Stephen, the very first one that we have a record of being martyred. He proclaimed the gospel when he was killed for it. And many, many, countless numbers of other people have been murdered throughout the years because of their faith. And because we've had lived in this relative safety over the last, uh, our lifetimes anyway, we've kind of lost sight of that. Oh yeah, well those brothers and sisters, let's pray for those brothers and sisters over there because they're being persecuted. Thank God we're not. I'm not so sure it's going to stay that way, folks. <clears throat> I'm really not. In fact, if Canada's any example for us, Woe, as we go into Matthew 24, verses 19 to 21, woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. For then there will be great tribulation. And it's going to be such as has never been seen since the beginning of the world, nor shall ever be again. And there are some who say, well, that was the tribulation time that the Christians went through in the early church. Well, then how do we bring it back to there's going to be a great tribulation before Christ returns? He's talking about that great tribulation that we've all heard about that none of us want to be here for. He says, nor shall ever be. In verse 22, he says, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. This is a sign. Now, I don't know if there's any validity to it, but if the, uh, scientifically speaking, if the world were to spin a little faster, wouldn't the days get a little shorter? Have you ever seen how many atomic bombs have been set off on this planet since the first time an atomic bomb was set off on this planet? There's a website that shows you <clears throat> and how they came at different times. It shows the dates, the first one, the second one, the third one. Well, as you get closer and closer to now, <clears throat> excuse me, they're going off like firecrackers. They're going off like fireworks. Boom, 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 all over the world. 
I suspect, and I could be completely wrong, and you can call me on it if anybody here knows better or anybody else does, is watching or listening, I suspect that somehow the earth's orbit has been altered. And all of us, I hear people all the time, that just isn't enough time to do everything anymore. I suspect we still have 24 hours, and we still have 60 minutes and 60 seconds and whatever the nanoseconds are, but I suspect that each one of those is a smaller span. I suspect that. I could be wrong. I I don't know. I'm not going to stand on it. I'll say, okay, I was wrong. But we're all experiencing shorter days. It's more and more difficult to get everything done in the same day that you thought maybe 10 years ago you could get things done. But again, I could be wrong. If anyone says to you, oh, excuse me, I'm going to go to uh, 1 Peter. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. So when you suffer for Christ, rejoice. Now that's a hard one. He's telling us to do this. This is the uh, uh, Apostle Peter, one of the right-hand guys to Christ himself. He says, look, call it a good thing. Rejoice when you're suffering for Christ, not for doing wrong. He says, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. In other words, when he comes back, you'll be rejoicing. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Blessed. You're blessed. So when somebody reproaches you for the name of Christ, say, Woo! Praise God for the blessing. Seriously. That's hard to do, I know. Somebody's looking down on you real hard, calling you names. I've been there. I'm not going to go into all that, but I used to preach on the streets in Pittsburgh when I was a teenager. You want to talk about being reproached for the name of Christ. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory of, and of God. The spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. On their part he's blasphemed, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. In other words, don't be doing these things that God says not to do. Or a thief, or an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. At the house of God. Judgment. Judgment. And that was 2,000 years ago that he was speaking. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God. Now, we covered what that was, right? The gospel, the good news. Christ was born. He lived. He suffered. He died. He was buried. He arose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, and he will return again. The good news. What? The time has come for judgment to come to the house of God. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And that's a quote from Proverbs. I think I put it in the slide there, didn't I? Yeah, Proverbs 11.31. As we go on in Matthew's gospel record, this is our Lord speaking. If anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or here, 
do not believe. For false Christs and false prophets will rise up, and they will give great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, the chosen, the ones that are of Christ, the ones that are in Christ. Behold, I to tell you beforehand, I'm, I'm warning you in, ahead of time, is what he's saying. It's coming. Be prepared. I'm telling you now because you're going to face this, and the Christians throughout all time have. We've had this relative freedom for such a time that we've never experienced it, and we think, ah, it'll never happen here. Maybe it won't, but it sure looks like it. False Christs, pseudo-Christos, a false Christ or Messiah, one who falsely lays claim to the name and office of Messiah, anointed. Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God, anointed. He's saying there's false anointed ones will abound. How many times do you hear people in the church, oh, I'm anointed. I'm anointed by God. And there's a lot of people that say that that aren't. We got to be on guard against that. Thus saith the Lord. It's not me saying it. That's him saying it. False prophets. One who, acting the part of a divinely inspired prophet, utters falsehoods under the name of divine prophecies. That's the definition. A spurious prophet. Pretended foreteller. Religious imposter. And as I said, this recent election has brought those people out of the woodwork. They're proclaiming something that didn't come to pass. <clears throat> and they're still doing it. They're still there. They won't give it up. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to praise God if what they say comes true. But if it doesn't come true, I'm going to point it out to them. And I have been to some that I know. I don't like to do that, but I have to because God's Word warns us against them. God's Word warns us. This is one of the signs, the signs, everywhere, the signs. False prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. As we continue in Matthew, he said, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go there. Look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning, what? The lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, does that sound like he's sneaking in? Can anybody say that he's sneaking in? Says the, as the lightning flashes from the east and to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he gives this statement that doesn't make much sense. This is our Lord speaking. He says, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. In other words, pay attention to the signs. You see the eagles, in other words, the buzzards, circling. You know there's a carcass there somewhere. It's a sign, Okay. And that's what he's saying. You're going to know when he returns. He's going to make sure that you know when he returns. And not just you, but everybody else. There's no secrecy to it. Immediately, as we go into 
Matthew 24, verse 29, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, when? After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the heavens, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. More of the signs. We haven't seen those signs yet. Those signs haven't taken place yet, so we know that he hasn't returned yet. But you'll know after the tribulation of those days, these signs are going to come to pass. And so when you see that great, terrible tribulation that comes upon the entire earth, and it's not the wrath of God, the wrath of God is coming after that. After Christ takes us out, the wrath of God will come upon this earth. He says so. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. How many? All. all. Not just some. Not just uh, the tribes that, uh, you know, are maybe hidden somewhere. All of the nations, all of the peoples of the earth will mourn. And they will see, they all will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They're going to mourn, and they're going to see him. He's not sneaking in, okay? And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they, the angels, will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now he gives this parable of the fig tree. He says, pay attention, when you learn this parable of the fig tree, When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, these signs, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, is it the generation that was standing there talking with him right then? There are some who say that. There are some who say, well, you know, he said this generation won't pass away before all these things take place. But when he's talking here, he's talking about this generation of people in that time when all these signs are taking place is not going to pass away. They're going to see it. It's a whole multitude of men living at the same time. All of the people living at the same time at that time will see. They're going to recognize this is the time that's foretold. Heaven and earth, verse 35 of Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. His teachings are eternal, forever. They don't go away. It's not like there's going to be a revision somewhere along the line that says, oh, no, 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 no. No, that's not what he meant. See, what he really meant was, and when I hear people say that kind of stuff, I'm like, wait a minute, his word's eternal. Your word, I'm not buying it. Not buying it, okay? Because what he said is true. That I can rely on. That hour. That day and hour. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Who knows? The Father. The Father's the only one that knows. Not even Christ himself. And he says so. Not even the Son. Only the Father. He doesn't say it here. He says it in another passage, which I didn't bring in. But as the days of Noah were, 
so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. How were the days of Noah? Let's ask that question. How were the days of Noah? Well, he tells us they were eating, they were drinking, life was going on as it always had. Day to day, Noah worked on that ship for 120 years. Everything went day by day, every day, just like it always had. There was no change. Everybody says, oh, where's the sign of his coming? He said, what? That's, that's Noah? He's a crazy man. This ain't happening. What's he talking about? Rain? What's rain? He didn't even know what rain was. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so we know wickedness ruled the earth. Lawlessness ruled the earth. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, till the day Noah entered the ark, and didn't know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, see, this is where it gets tricky because there are people over the last 50, maybe 60 years, not quite 60 years, <clears throat> this came out when I was preaching on the streets, that say he's going to sneak in, grab his people, and jump back out. And they say that there's going to be one taken and one left behind. And they say the ones left behind are the believer, or excuse me, the unbelievers. But let's see the context, okay? Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Who's going to be taken? We have to ask that question. Who's he referring to? This is our Lord speaking, okay? The context shows us, as in the days of Noah, because that's what he referred to, as in the days of Noah, they didn't know what was coming until it hit them and took them all away. One was taken, and another left. Who was left? Those that were on the ark. They were in the ark of the covenant, and they were left in that ark. The context shows us the wicked will be taken away, not the righteous. That's the context. And everybody, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, context is king, context is king, but when it comes to this, oh, no, 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 that's not what it means. That's what they say. Well, look, you're not going to twist my mind up. I'm going to go with what he said. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other one left. Who's going to be taken? Go to the context. The wicked, not the righteous. As we go on in Matthew, we're going to wrap it up real soon, folks. But we're going to need to come back to this next week. And I hope that at least most of you can be here. I know some of you have traveled long distances Watch, therefore. Watch, therefore. I did a whole series of messages probably about 10 years ago. Watch, therefore. That was the name of the series. Watch, therefore. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You, me, nobody, only the Father. Be watchful. Don't get carried away. There's many passages of Scripture to tell us, and we may get into that next week. I'm not sure. That say, don't get carried away with this life and forget that he's coming back. Pay attention to the signs, signs, signs. Everywhere the signs, we need to pay attention. 
Watch therefore, you do not know when your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. In other words, he brings in another context, a different idea. If you're the, you're the owner of a house and you know it's going to be robbed, you're going to be sitting there ready for the robber. True or false? Right. Because you're watching. You're paying attention. And he says, pay attention like that, because that's how serious it is. It's really important that we pay attention to the signs of his coming, because he is coming. The context is that those who are watchful are aware of the signs of his coming. Those who are watchful are not caught off guard. Signs. Signs. Everywhere there's signs. And we need to be those who pay attention, folks. I'm going to wrap it up there and just do some more, uh, just explain a few more things, I think. When you're on the road, those of you who travel on the roads, you look at the signs. The signs give you a, 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 an understanding to some degree of where you are. They tell you, okay, there's a bend coming up ahead. Be, be, be slow down a little bit, maybe. And when you see those ones that are like that, you say, whoa, I better pump the brakes here. You look at the signs because they're important to you. Here is our Lord telling us these signs are important to us. <clears throat> we have to know we're getting close. And 2,000 years ago, they were warning everybody to pay attention. And there was a time in the history of the church when believers thought he was coming any day. Any day now. It was a song we used to sing. Any day now. He's going to be coming. And we need to be people who recognize that he, in fact, is coming. And it very well could be our own lifetimes. Uh, we Maybe we're never taught. Maybe we never ever heard this before. Maybe we never believed, even if we did hear it, that it was going to happen in our lifetime. But it could. And we want to be prepared. And how do we prepare? We prepare by bringing our hearts before the Lord and asking Him to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to show us the way of Christ, that sinless path that He walked, and we followed that path not our own. Because our path doesn't lead to him. Our path leads to destruction. That's what his word shows us. We need to be people of his word. And so little of his word is proclaimed anymore in these places that we call churches that very few people really even recognize his word anymore. You get a verse of scripture and then the guy talks about the baseball game or the hockey game or the football game. And you could go downstairs because we got a big screen TV. We don't, but there's places that do and I've been to some of them. And they said, we're going to watch the game. Come on, pastor. Pick it up here. The game's coming on. But we're not getting the word. Largely. I pray to Almighty God that I always bring His Word to feed the souls that He brings into this building. I want each of you, when you stand before Him, to have clean hands and for Him to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. 
Because there are going to be those, and he says so, that are going to say, Lord, Lord, come on, we did miracles in your name. You preached in our streets. Come on, what do you mean? And he goes, I don't know you. You're workers of iniquity. And see, there's the dividing line. Because in Christ, we are not going to continue working iniquity. What is iniquity? It's sin. Who defines sin? God. We don't get to define it. We don't get to say, well, this little bit's okay. You know, I'm only going to take this because I like it. After all, nobody else took it. I can have that. It's just a little thing. Um, No. That's not what his word shows. His word shows that he wants a pure and spotless bride. And he's coming for her. And the signs are all around us. We need to pay attention to those signs. We really do, folks. I want you all to be prepared when that, as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, moment takes place. You won't be among those who mourn. Because he says there will be those who are mourning his return. But there will also be those who are rejoicing. Let's be among those who rejoice, shall we? Now come back next week and we'll finish up because there's more to go here, okay? We've got more signs. And uh, it's not wonders, but it's instruction from God's Word. Let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your Word. I know this isn't one of those uplifting cotton candy messages, Lord, and you haven't been giving me any of those, and I can't deliver them. I've just got to bring it the way you give it to me, Father, and I thank you. I thank you for all the blessings that you provide, like that tractor-trailer food that came yesterday in an unexpected manner. But I know you have things for that, too, Lord, and if there's anybody here who needs food, Father, just place it on their heart to come and see me. I'll make sure they get some. Lord... As we wrap things up here, I ask that you would take each soul in this building and prepare it for your kingdom. Prepare it to be watchful for the signs of Christ's return. And I pray this in his mighty and majestic name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. And uh, if you all don't mind, we'll receive an offering. Is that off, Jim? Let me get this one too.